<sighs> I almost uh, had to, to kill someone at Publix today. Why were they being incriminating? Well, why? <laughs> what happened this time? So apparently there's like a juice box apocalypse where you can't find anything except for like that the healthy apple juice shit that no kid actually likes. Wait, like juice box? Like the world is out of juice boxes right now? Like toilet yeah, paper much. during COVID? Okay. Yeah, so I except for like there was like some Capri Suns. So me and this dude both reached for the same last box of Fruit Punch Capri Suns at the same time. Okay. And we ended up, like, eyeing each other, and I'm like, I think we have to duel to the death now. <laughs> Silently, Greg is in his mind going, can I beat this guy? I'm not sure. And he's, me... like, he's like, no, there's another box behind it. And I'm like, ah, oh, well. <laughs> Maybe he's trying time. to trick me. I was going to say. <laughs> Pulls out is... his sword and stabs the guy through the gut. <laughs> and then you say to him, oh, well, if there is, then. Go ahead and let go of this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, parenting. Yes. Uh, you are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode 198, side B. is the Give Me Five podcast summer of 1987, or as we like to call it, the summer of 87, which is pretty much the same thing, except without saying the word 19. Or the. Yes. See? I saved us words, except for the explanation portion of that. Uh, made it significantly longer. It's true. We are covering the movies from 1987 in the order that they came out, and... I think we're on our second to last one, Dirty Dancing. Yep, this is in fact the week in 1987 that Dirty Dancing was released. And we debated on whether or not to do Dirty Dancing, because it was going to be Dirty Dancing or Born in East L.A. And I don't think any of us had actually seen Dirty Dancing. I think that is true. I have not, no. I saw Born in East L.A. many times, <laughs> but not not Dirty Dancing. Yep. So it would have been a spoiler had someone mentioned all the things that happened in Dirty Dancing. It would have been, but that's our job because this is a review show and there's going to be spoilers. We'll try to avoid major twists as always, but... I mean, the movie came out over three decades ago, so if you haven't seen it by now, the chances that you're going to see it without actually listening to this podcast, probably pretty slim. And in fact, the chances that any three of us would have seen it without this podcast were very slim. Yeah, that's true. That's 100% true. But if we are talking about something that you do want to see before we discuss it, I suggest you pause, go watch it, and then come back and hear us talk about it. Okay. So without further ado, our movie for this week is, in fact, Dirty Dancing. It was released on August 21st of 1987, directed by Emil Ardolino, stars Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, 
Cynthia Rhodes, Jerry Orbach, Jane Brucker, Kelly Bishop, Jack Weston, Lonnie Price, and then a couple of other uh, a couple of other actors as well. But those were the main players. And the synopsis is spending the summer at a Catskills resort with her family, Francis Baby Houseman falls in love with the camp's dance instructor, Johnny Castle. Now, who hasn't done that? I, well, I, I mean, I know that we've all done that at once. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Anyone named Johnny Castle, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I have learned a lot about my family because of this mm-hmm. movie. I've learned a lot about my wife because of this movie. And we, I think there's enough other stuff to talk about with this where we don't need to, again, recap a movie that came out this many years ago that you know everyone has either knows pretty much what happened has seen the music videos or her uh, watched it themselves heard their moms talk about it something like that it's funny because heard the song yeah, yeah well all the songs it's funny you're right about that though because after watching the netflix show about um the the movies that what was it the movies that made us movies yes. that made us yeah coincidentally mm-hmm. netflix did release this movie in their as part of that it's part of yeah. season two, I think. That was really... I actually watched that a couple of weeks ago before the, before this. And I remember Dirty Dancing at the time. In 87, I was um, 11. I was 11 years old. So I remember it. I didn't realize how big of a phenomenon it was, though. I mean, I guess I did even at the time, but re-watching phenomenon. that... Doo, doo, doo. <laughs> that's, I phenomenon. I was just thinking that. Doo, that's really doo, funny. Doo, doo. <laughs> But watching that Netflix show like really brought it home. Like, what a huge thing this was. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad that we did this. Actually, yeah. So what... it... Go ahead, Greg. I was just to say, how how do we want to proceed here? I, you have a bit of a plan on the notes. So I'm not. I'm going to let you take control. I did. I I I probably want to start with um, because since none of us saw it, um, I kind of want to get into why none of us saw it. Um, and, and for me, I mean, the, the biggest thing about it was, was that, I mean, I really kind of perceived it as a, as a chick flick. It was, it was a girl's movie. Correct. Um, and that was, that was mainly why it was never on my radar and I didn't really care to go see it. Mine was a little more interesting, I think. Go for it. So I've said this with all of the movies, but. You remember this was when my parents were deciding to move, you know, down to Florida mm-hmm. from Pittsburgh. So part of part of this movie, I don't know if this happens to anyone else, but like when you're getting ready to leave someplace, have you ever like for me? Every time I'm like getting ready to move somewhere, or, and you've you've left a lot of places, you end up hanging out with someone that you maybe didn't quite hang out with the entire time you lived there. Like for some reason when I moved, you know, when I moved to Orlando, I ended up hanging out with like three or four people like for that last week before I moved up here. But when I moved down from Pittsburgh, I, I ended up hanging out with with this guy who you know, I was what 10 or 11, right? He had a van. Yeah. He was <laughs> and he, he was showed 40. you the summer of your life. <laughs> he he was 40. <laughs> no, it was a guy, he was he was a friend of mine, but his um I was hanging out with him and it was funny because we went, I was dropped off at his house, and they got a babysitter. Oh, right. <laughs> they got a babysitter for us, and, and that's how my mom, starts. my mom, and his mom went to go see this movie that everyone was talking about. And all I could, all I could hear about was them talking about how cute 
Patrick Swayze was and his butt and all this stuff. But what was funny was at this point, like, you kind of don't know what gay is. And it, you're going to laugh at me, but you kind of don't know what gay is. But I remember very distinctly this kid was, like, crying that he couldn't go see Patrick Swayze. He was so mad. So I ended up just kind of hanging out with his sister because he was, like, <laughs> so mad that he couldn't see this movie. And, and he was literally the very first one of my friends that ever came out. I was like, oh, yeah, I knew that one. Like, I didn't I saw quite... that one coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was when, when you locked yourself in the basement crying because you couldn't see Dirty Dancing, I pretty much, uh, I guessed. Check out the non-surprise on my face. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm here for you, my friend, but you didn't need to tell me. But duh. <laughs> and I support you, but I already knew. <laughs> uh, oh, so God. the reason why I didn't see Dirty Dancing was because um, I was, I guess, doing therapy at the time. But, for, for a friend of mine. Well, I, and because uh, of him being, because of him missing it, and you hanging out with his sister, you learned what hetero was <laughs> real fast. <laughs> Good for you, yes. buddy. <laughs> that's so I'll reenact dirty. I'll reenact so dirty dancing for you. <laughs> that is so funny, dude. <laughs> I'm dying. Okay, Omar, sorry. was your reason oh, pretty much the same as mine? Is that it was just pretty much <laughs> it, a chick? Yeah, it had nothing to do with a kid being angry to not seeing Patrick Swayze. Um, mine was the same thing. Wait, I mean, Omar was that kid, I was, wasn't he? Uh, <laughs> thanks for not using my name, Greg. Um, <laughs> no, I. Uh, well, well, yeah, so my friend, we'll call him Shlomar. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was the same with me. I mean, I was. Uh, I remember at the time, you know, middle school or whatever. 11 mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. And, um, like a friend, like a, my family was friends with another family and they had a daughter about my age and we were good friends, like all through middle school. And I remember her like talking about that movie all the time. And I was like, that's stupid. I don't want to see that movie. Like I wanted, you know, I was like watching, you know, VHS of back to the future and stuff like that. Like that's what I, you know, and I, I had zero desire to see it. It was a girl movie. It was a chick flick period. Right. That's it. Maybe mm-hmm. if we were a little bit older and we were like taking girls to the movies or whatever, we would have we would have had to have seen it. But I had zero desire to see it, and I, as I grew up, I never wanted to. I never cared. Didn't really, yeah. Didn't really need anything. I, I think also just, need. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I think it just missed us, like as far as time period goes, because I think you're right. I think if we had been a little bit older, we we may have ended up going to see it. Um, but by the time we were old enough to be at that point, there was no, nobody was going to see it anymore. Yeah. I mean, it well, they said in that documentary, the producer said they, they aimed it square at 14 year old girls. Yeah. And they were, right. they were very surprised that uh, older people were going to see it. That it, that it did as well as it did. And, and there's actually a lot of, a lot of history behind this movie. Um, cause when, the, when the movie was originally pitched, it was, it was almost immediately greenlit. Um, uh, what's her name? Barbara. I keep wanting to say Barbara Backland, but the uh, the executive producer basically took it to the studio, and the first guy she took it to approved it and was like, "Yes, let's do this movie." And she's like, "Excellent! This is fantastic!" She calls the writer, and you know they're like, "Oh, they're gonna make the movie." And then the next day, that executive was fired. <laughs> so. All of his all of his products are basically in limbo at that point. 
and it gets canceled or whatever the the green light gets canceled and so as a result of that the the rights to make the movie reverted to the executive producer for one year so she had a year to get this made i believe i believe her name is eleanor bergstein that's the writer and the producer the the producer she was the one with the gray hair and thing uh the other one is linda gottlieb gottlieb linda gottlieb was the executive producer yes she was the one who was taking it to the studios and stuff. Yeah, she had the shorter hair. Shorter, and dark hair. A, and she was yeah. sitting in front of a fireplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Correct. Yeah. So, you know, she's got a year to get this to get this produced and done. And, you know, other than the first guy who read it and approved it, no one wanted to do it. And the, they said exactly what we, what Omar and I were talking about was that the biggest comment that they had was that the movie was too too girly, too girly. They wanted action, they wanted adventure, they wanted all that stuff. No one was really doing you know movies focused at fourteen year old girls at this point. And also and, of and one guy in Pittsburgh, <laughs> <laughs> one guy in Pittsburgh. But also of note, um, one of the other big problems they had with this movie was the title. Because no one liked the connotation of the title. And they actually had several big names, actors and musicians and other executives, who declined to be a part of this movie strictly based on the title. Dirty Dancing. Mm. That's fair. It's interesting that you you see these type of movies come out where the title makes you believe that it's dirtier or naughtier than it is. Mm-hmm. And then there's that first weekend, you know, that was a Magic Mike, Dirty Dancing, Lombada, there's a prob- uh, Showgirls and all that. There's like that first weekend. And the people that go to see it are the ones looking for the shock value. And if the movie is actually good, then you see that the second weekend holds the, the business. If the movie's terrible, like Showgirls, it crashes and burns. <laughs> like... It's always kind of interesting to watch those those shock titles if if the business goes up each weekend like or if the business. Well, yeah, but would you do you like it? Would you like it on TNT the edited version? Hell no. Or this, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that whole movie to be honest. He's no. only fast forwarded to certain parts. And no, rewound. I really honestly and rewound. That's what he, he never <laughs> he never gets past the Gina Gershon kiss. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't I didn't know there was a Gina Gershon kiss. Actually, honestly, I've never even I heard it was so bad I didn't even waste my time like watching it. God damn it! Yeah, we are not doing showgirls. Well, now we have to. Yeah, we now are. We <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. <clears throat> Did you say Gina Gershon kiss? Oh. I'm gonna bow out for the rest Sorry. of the recording. You guys do your thing. <laughs> I'll be back in about thirty minutes. I'm 45 now. It's gonna be 40 minutes. wow (laughs) anyway um so the the producer took this title to multiple uh, to like all of the big production companies everyone said no so she took it to all of the minor production companies and guess what they all said no she took it to all the fledgling companies. All the ones who, who only had a couple of credits to their name. 
They all said no. Finally, the only company that was willing to make this, and they actually ended up with a script. They ended up just coming across the script, and they reached out to her and, and said they wanted to make it. Took it was to a a, company. like an AV department at like an upstate New York high school. Exactly. Like, exactly. Now we're good. <laughs> well, the the only company that was willing to do this movie was Vestron. And at the time, Vestron was actually not a movie uh, a movie studio at all. They were just a home video distributor. And the problem they were starting to have, they were making plans for it because they saw the writing on the wall. But the big studios realized, why are we paying these guys to distribute the videos when we can do it ourselves and keep the money, right? So Vestron was slowly being pushed out of the market by the bigger studios. And they were making plans to try their hand at movies. And believe it or not, this movie was their very first attempt. It was their first movie. And they hit yeah, that's a hell of a a debut. Big. Because they, being that they were a fledgling company, they severely hampered the producers with the budget. But the I mean, the movie worked. It was it was amazing what they did with this budget. And I believe I saw that like at the time, typical movie budgets were like in the mid 20 to high 20 million. Yeah, that seems about right, based on what we've been reading each week. Right. And the budget that they had for this movie, they gave them about $4.5 million. What's, was... what's really interesting is I worked with a guy that worked on this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I reached out to him, but he is uh, smart and doesn't use social media. But he was he was older, but he was a, uh, a crane camera operator. Mm-hmm. And when he told me that, he was, I was like, well, that's really cool. You know, what was it like? And because of this budget thing, like, he made it seem like it was no big deal. Like, it was just a job. You go in, aim the camera at something, shoot. Because with the budget that small, there's not reshoots. There's not, let's try this. There's not, like, right. there's not, well, let's get a different angle. It was like, you go in, you aim the camera, and hopefully it works before the film runs out. And so he did the, like I said, he did the crane overhead shots and of a lot of the dance sequences at the end. And I think in the big like dinner room that they would eat in. And you know, it was just a, another day for him because, you know, it was not a high paying gig, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of an interesting thing that that happens when these low budget movies happen. Yeah. Well, it may have had a low budget. But they did they they did an amazing job on it, and the studio actually recouped their investment and then some, because before it was all said and done, this movie ended up making two hundred and fourteen million dollars. That's an incredible amount of money, considering how much off of their four and a half million dollar investment. Well, right. How much was a movie ticket then? Three fifteen, three thirty, three fifty a ticket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So they had this absolutely monster hit on their hands. And they they mistakenly thought that, oh, 
you know, this is how it always is. <laughs> because I don't think they had another hit after this movie, and they ended up going bankrupt not, um, you know, a couple of years later. 91. Yeah. Not before they put out Little Monster starring Fred Savage in a kid in purple makeup. That's right. Howie <laughs> Mandel. <laughs> Howie Mandel. Was that, oh, that was Howie Mandel? Yeah, that was Howie Mandel. Yeah, that was Howie Mandel, the, the, the little the whatever creature thing. Yeah, but they also put out quality uh, quality movies like Parents. I remember that poster when they showed yeah. it in the, Randy the Quaid. Uh, movies that made us. Yeah, Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so they didn't do too well after this movie, but this movie was absolute gold. Um, but that's not to say that they didn't have their problems when when the well while the movie was being made, and you know they had they had various you know issues going on. I mean, aside from the budget limitation that they had, um, there was a there was a bit of uh, studio studio meddling because this. Did you know that? that uh, Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey were not the ones that the studio wanted to cast as the two lead characters. They actually really wanted Billy Zane and Sarah Jessica Parker. And they actually screen tested both couples. And during the screen test, you know, they kind of put Patrick with, with Sarah and put Billy with Jennifer and put Jennifer with Patrick and Billy with Sarah. And, you know, they, they, they just kind of tried all the, all the combinations and, it ended up being that they were able to get the ones that they want. Cause the writer really, really wanted Patrick Swayze. Um, and there was this whole big, big to do that they passed him up the first time because he didn't have any dance experience on his resume. And it turns out that he was trying to get away from dance because he had had an injury and, and it was getting difficult for him. So, mm-hmm. but he had plenty of dance experience. I mean, his mother was one of the biggest dance instructors in Texas. I believe. Yeah. It was Texas. Well, I think he actually, I, I, the thing where it said no dancing, I thought it meant like he was specifically requesting no dancing, like someone saying like no nude scenes. Right, he didn't want to dance in movies. Mm. Yeah, um, the opposite of what you would put in there. You you'd put definitely nude scenes only. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, only nude scenes. <laughs> I'm only doing it with all my clothes uh, no on. no clothing, please. Yes, <laughs> but no, I and and I know what you're saying. I don't think you're right for this part of Henry Kissinger. <laughs> and I know what you're saying, but I don't think that that was that that was the actual. Um, the actual resume. I don't think his resume actually said no dancing. I think they just had no dancing on there because he didn't, because they just didn't think he danced. Um, but it's entirely possible that it did say that, you know, no dancing. Um, but they, uh, Emil Ardolino, the, the director actually had, uh, was familiar with Patrick Swayze and said, no, 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 he dances. And so they were, they were all about it. And the, like I said, the writer, very much wanted Patrick Swayze in the movie. And both the writer and the executive producer fought for Jennifer Grey. And just based on the on-screen chemistry, which which surprised me a bit because Patrick and Jennifer had a less than cordial relationship, mm-hmm. from what I understand. Yeah, apparently they didn't get along very well. But, they, but yeah. their chemistry was great. It was. Oh, it was amazing. It was, it was awesome. It really was. The movie wasn't flat at all like it was a it was a it was it was well done like they they look good together well they said that i guess there's passion can can also be hate if you on camera hatred can look like passion right okay well there's the scene i remember from the 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 netflix show the scene where there there's like a he's teaching her how to dance and do all the moves and and she's got Mm -hmm. like her 
arm ab- like behind her and he's like standing behind her and he's like kind of running his hand down her arm and yeah. like her side and she keeps laughing mm-hmm. and he, he looks annoyed like his that was he was really pissed like he she wouldn't stop laughing and he was he was mad like he right. he kept looking at the director like what the hell man like <laughs> and that was that was one of the things that that Emil Artelino did that was that was absolutely amazing for this movie and their budget because in order to pick up more footage he just let the cameras roll like you know they couldn't they couldn't afford to like come back and do reshoots so he got all the footage that he could and you know they thumbed through it and stuff and a lot of the stuff that they used, because essentially in this movie, we're watching Jennifer Grey learn to dance, right? Because she wasn't the dancer that Patrick Swayze was, and Patrick was trying to teach her certain things. So they actually got a lot of those training sessions on video, and that that scene that Omar was just talking about was was a scene that they just they threw in there because it worked, but all of that irritation on Patrick's face was 100% genuine because she would not stop laughing. And I think there was some story about how she w- she had, like, low blood sugar and she wanted, like, a cheese platter or some shit. And, you know, so she was a little <laughs> bit... Uh, she was, like, hungry. Yeah. She was a little bit punch drunk and whatnot. So it, it was getting very frustrating, but all of that was 100% genuine. And one of the other things I found out was the, um, the, the scene of them getting ready in the in the dance hall where they're, where they're like mouthing the words to lover boy. Mm-hmm. That was actually not originally in the script. Were that was just crawling and stuff, right? That was just them warming up and playing with each other beforehand, you know, just, just fooling around. But oh, like cool. I said, Artelino had the cameras running like almost all the time. And he said the scene worked so well that he kept it in the movie. So that was that was one of the things that that the director did to to deal with their shortened budget or their their minimalized budget. Um, but some of the other problems that they had that actually related directly to the budget limitation was this this film was supposed to be in a resort in the Catskills, right? With a four point five million dollar budget, there was no way that they were going to be able to afford to rent out. A resort in the Catskills. They, they could only afford, you know, to rent out a resort in Northern Virginia. Uh, I believe, what was it called? Um, Mountain mm-hmm. Lake Lodge, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Mountain Lake. It was a, it was a lodge in a mountain on a lake. <laughs> yeah. Super creative name, Mountain Lake Lodge. But they could only afford to rent out that resort in Virginia for 14 days. So they did all of the shooting for the, the lodge house, the meeting areas, the, all of the big, the big scope screens where you see like the, the lodge and the, the boarding houses in the background and all of that stuff. They shot all of that and then picked up and moved to another location where they shot all of the, all of the scenes that were like at the staff cottages. So this is where I'm going to jump in, as this is probably one of the most Jewish movies I've ever seen that actually isn't advertised as such. And it 
and it totally is. And and the, like you recognize it because we both you guys recognize it from where you grew up. But I did. What's interesting is I didn't really catch. What, what do you mean? So they use this takes place and stuff and the, certain terms, especially at the at the end when the the owner of the resort is talking and he he's talking in Yiddish and stuff. But mm-hmm. but beyond that, this takes place in the Borscht Belt and mm-hmm. um, throughout the basically the 1900s, Jews weren't allowed to go anywhere else in like in America. So they had their own resorts. Right. Um, so, but, but, but the only reason I know that is because so I'm watching the, the group sing along towards the end. And I was thinking if my parents took me every year to this, I would have lost my goddamn mind. <laughs> That's really funny. I'm like, I'm like, why the hell did these people think it was like legit? So I actually talked to my mom and I was like, did you guys do that? Because my, my mom's not religious. My mom's mom was, and dad. Um, mm-hmm. So they went to a place in Pennsylvania. Um, they couldn't go all the way up there because he was, he was a government scientist. Um, so they went to a place called the Cottages, but my grandfather actually worked at one of these resorts. Uh, mm. And that's how he put himself through college. Interesting. So he worked at one called the President, and he was a waiter. So he was like one of the waiters that were hitting on all the young uh, Jewish girls that came in. And um, he worked there when Danny Kay was like the – the uh, main performer, so Danny fucking K from uh, from Christmas Vacation. Uh, he you know, basically that apparently somewhere in the family archives photo books, there's the actual like piece of paper that they have the like Danny K picture on that says like performing live, whatever. So I have to try to find it. But he worked at a, a resort called the President um, in Swan Lake, which is part part of the Catskill area. And so this was a thing every year, and what eventually killed it. Um, do, what historians think actually killed this? Does anyone do you know? Do you have any guess? Like what like, killed? Basically, you mean what? What killed like these resorts, like these these Catskills resorts? No, but it's in funny. The late seventies, early eighties. It's funny that you say that because that's kind of a, you know, being the age we are, like we didn't. That I not that you. I don't know that you guys did, but of course I never went to those resorts. But I've heard we're a like lot the first about. Generation. Yeah, we're like, the first generation that did. Okay. But I've heard of you know right. why. Well, but that's what thing is air, con- uh, uh, air conditioning. Oh, really? Because all of these people escaped the city to the nice, cool mountains, and air conditioning became way easier to access. So instead of going spending all to, the money, instead of going all the money, they actually turned the other way and said, "Well, let's go to the beach instead." So that's why you know all the resorts started springing up, like the golf resorts, all the ones you see in Miami and stuff like that, because they actually had. In uh, air conditioning, interesting. Yeah, I was mm. like, that's kind of cool. It is cool. Wow. There's also a. Oh, by the way, just if you if you look up the resorts, they still exist, but they're like they've been abandoned, and it's the pictures are gorgeous. Like there's like these old like 60s and 50s looking resorts with like grass growing on the on the on the carpet and. It'll be like, well, like you know, a single lounge chair and a pool. <laughs> well, I f- I'm pretty sure that the one that they filmed at is actually still in that one's in that one still exists. The upstate yeah. New York ones are the ones. There's like a book about it. It's, it's oh, gotcha. It's the, the, the Catskills cool. ones you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. The the one that they filmed in. What 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 kind of natural devastation happened there with the lake and all that? Yeah. What's yeah, the deal? I was wondering that because I don't, I didn't find anything about it, but apparently. The the lake where 
where uh, Johnny and Baby filmed their their lift scene, lift practices. You know, where he was like lifting her up above his head and everything. They yeah. they filmed that in a lake in October, by the way. They were both freezing. Um, but that lake dried up in like 2009, 2002? Well, it was 2002 or 2009. Was it, was it during a, um, like a drought But or they don't really go into what happened. Yeah. They I just say, they hey, say the lake that, is but, gone. Yeah. And it's interesting because the scene, wasn't this, if I'm not mistaken, the vacation was supposed to be over the summer, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. Like in the movie? And there's a which scene was, where... Which was also one of the other problems that they had with getting this done. Because remember, the executive producer only had the rights for a year. And she had to get it filmed before summer ended. Well, that's and... the thing is, there's a scene where Baby goes out onto that beautiful gazebo overlooking... Like, it was gorgeous. Like, the lake and the gazebo and everything. Like, I, want, I would right. go there. Like, I, I loved it. And the dad is sitting there... And um, he's overlooking the lake, and he's he's like you know um, melancholy or whatever because she'd lied to him and stuff. And as the the that they they established that shot, it might have been your friend Greg. There's like this crane shot from overhead, kind of. I'm serious. This is, it might have been him. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about the kid that was mad that he couldn't go. No, 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 no. That, <laughs> that kid was still sulking in a basement up, up in Pennsylvania. But um. The, uh, you, you can see leaves falling and he's like bundled up. Like it's clearly not summer or, it, or yeah. it's at least the very end of summer because there were actually like literally leaves falling and he was wearing like heavier clothing. And I remember thinking, isn't this supposed to take place in the summer? Like it didn't ruin the movie for me or anything like that, but it was just, it, it makes sense now that you say that they, <laughs> they had like a very limited time and that was it. Like they couldn't. And, and I think it actually worked because it, at the point that that happens in the movie, it's almost like they're nearing the end of the summer vacation. You know uh, I mean? Right. I, that's what I thought, too. But even summer, even in North Carolina and stuff, there's not leaves falling yet. No. You know? But, yeah, but whatever. It doesn't happen until, like, October. Until October, like, exactly. But it, it worked thematically, in my opinion. And yeah, it worked. I, I thought it, they... It worked. It was and be- and the, it's a beautiful there's shot. A, there's a rumor. I don't know how, how much truth there is to it, but there was there was a rumor that some of the production assistants were out painting leaves green. Oh, that's I'm funny. Like, they've got to go paint an entire because some of them started to change. And actually, where they were saying that where they actually picked, it's one of the last places in the in the country where the leaves change. So they they actually had the green leaves all the way up until like October when they started to change the color. Wow! But so I I found a little story about the lake. Okay. Um, it's I don't think it's anything like you know they didn't divert the water. There's nothing anything like that it's a one-of-the-kind lake and i think it just it reaches a certain point to where the, the sediment accumulates at the bottom and it kind of drains itself through um and it looks like it happens every 400 years um, oh wow and, the, and as of 2020 so i said it's a one-of-a-kind lake not just in the appalachia but also in the entire world um the guy's a little bit of a hippy dippy, so I'm kind of not reading his quote because he's like, the, "The lake has to purify itself," but that's not what happens. <laughs> Don't so we all? Basically, yeah. <laughs> basically, the type of sediment it starts draining through, but it's actually as of 2020, it's starting to fill up again. Um, Interesting, but it hmm. also takes longer because as the sediment drains through this complex thing, it actually the lake bottom gets lower and deeper. So your bottom gets huh. lower and deeper. 
<laughs> I knew you were going to. I knew you were going to well, say that. And, and when and they, yet, I didn't mute your mic. <laughs> when they showed the pictures of like, because the cinder blocks that they used for the platform in the lake are still there. And That's crazy to me. Yeah, when they showed those cinder blocks, I was like, man, that that ground looks like it's really soggy though. Mm-hmm. Well, it's crazy to me because like, even when the water was still there. You had to figure at least some jackass was going to be like, "Oh, this is the part where they where they did the lift. Let's go over there." And they would like stub their toe on the yeah, cinder block. The and be like, what the yeah. hell? Are, yeah, what the fuck is this doing here? And like toss them or because they were like still stacked, right? And the other thing like, I was thinking during that scene, when when in the in the lake when they're doing the lift, like I don't know if you've ever swum in a swam in a lake before, but the bottom the ground the bottom of lakes like it sucks. It's gross. It's like all mushy yeah. and it, lakes Slimy. are gross. Yeah, and there's there's corpses everywhere. <laughs> oh, this lots is when it became a slasher movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is when Jason came out. Yeah, got it. Yeah, there's so there's every like the ground is actually you're just walking on dead bodies. <laughs> Without question. Oh, summer resorts. What can't you do? <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah, I am glad that I missed that portion of of the travel because going to the same resort every single year would drive me insane. I mm. agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, as I was saying, that they they could only afford the the um, fourteen days at this big resort, so they moved to a boys' camp in North Carolina to finish up the the filming, where they filmed like all of the staff cottages. Uh, Johnny's cottage was at the boys' camp in North Carolina, and they did a uh, they did a little trick to merge the two together, so that you never even questioned that you were in a different location. And you saw that right where they used the, the they lights. used the same lamps. The lamps that lit the pathway. Oh, they, yeah, they lined all the pathways with these with these lamps, and then when they moved to North Carolina, they picked up those lamps and they used the exact same lamps, so it looked like it was all just one big resort. So the shots where they're going up to the like where the workers lived, mm-hmm. that was in North Carolina. Correct. Correct. And then the mm-hmm. shots were the resort itself. Obviously, that was the Virginia. That's interesting. Correct. Wow. That's cool. I love and, those little like um, editing stories, like those little tricks. I think that's really fascinating. I, I like that stuff. And they they did an excellent job because I mean the, it just merged seamlessly, and you never perfect. really questioned that nope. you were in two separate locations for this. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like that. Now, one of the other problems that they had was this is a dance movie, right? Indeed, that's what I've heard. Mm-hmm. How do you do a dance movie with no music? Right. Well, but don't they... Is, okay. All right, go into that, because I have a question about that. They, they were having trouble, because of their limited budget, they were having trouble getting the rights to use the music that they had wanted to use. Now, I, I'm sure Greg probably knows that that music is one of the more expensive things in a movie. Yeah, if you listen to our side A, when you jackasses started singing something, I had to yell at you. That's right. Wait, what was it again? Can you sing it for me? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had... And we're canceled. <laughs> um, but they were having a really, really difficult time getting the music. So much so that they were filming the the big dance number at the end with a fucking metronome. 
because they had no music. And and they they had initially hired this guy Danny Goldberg to attempt to get the music and every time they called him they he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It it'll be there, it'll be there, it'll be there." And weeks went by. He still had no music. Well, finally he was fired and they brought in this guy Jimmy Einer. And it's it's amazing what a fresh set of eyes could do because he he delivered on the music and he delivered mo i believe most of what the author actually wanted yeah you know because she had this idea in her head as far as what song she wanted in the in this movie and what song she wanted them dancing to and everything like that well remember this is loosely based on her life even though she says no but a lot of the the little key points are based on things that happened to her so right she also made a cassette tape that was like, these are the songs that I had in my mind, or these are the songs that go along with these parts. And right. Apparently they got them. They, they did. And actually, one of the interesting things I found out when I, was reading, when I was reading through some of the stuff for this movie was that this movie actually was largely responsible for a classic music resurgence. The yes, that's right. People would walk out of this movie walk directly to the music store and get the album but I, for this movie. I even remember just like in my own like little life and my family and friends and like, you know, being around with family and parties and things like that with your mm-hmm. with your neighbors and stuff. Um I remember all this type of music w- was around a lot at that time. And I kind of somehow understood that it was linked to this movie. But but it was right. like it was everywhere and even um well, and of course, the other there's a couple of of contemporary songs that were on there that, were, of course, were all right. over the radio that were big hits. But all of those, and there were some s- original songs that they that they did for the movie, that's, such as the "I Had the Time of My That's life. what I meant. That's what that, I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I knew every one of the songs as I was watching the movie mm-hmm. because of hearing this soundtrack so many times at friends' houses mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, these songs well, became and, huge, and they still are known because of this movie. And In the soundtrack opinion, I mean, became so popular, it sold out almost everywhere. They were they were like on back order. They were taking orders for it. This the album for this movie went platinum. I think eleven times. They said, "Holy crap, damn!" It was it was ridiculous. But it, it was it was one of the movies that was responsible for a classic music resurgence because you had a lot of. You had a lot of music in this movie from the '60s. You had music from the '50s. You had, you know, there there was just a lot of classic music that that came back and saw saw replay value, and people ate it up. And there's some good songs on there. <laughs> well, we we've talked a lot about '50s and '60s music constantly showing up in '80s movies, like, mm-hmm. and part of that is the people greenlighting the movies, the people writing the movies, people making the movies are were from that era. Right. You know, just like now when there's a lot of references to the 90s, because that's kind of when we were in high school, kind of when we were in college, and the people our age are the ones that are making a lot of the media for the most part. Uh, so like between stuff like the Righteous Brothers and, and um, you know, Billy Joel was doing stuff mm-hmm. that was based on the 50s and 60s. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Top Gun had that, that big kind of hit and even uh, time of my life has a vintage feel it does it's got, mm-hmm. agreed it's got one of the righteous brothers in it is the guy singing it, right so well he's got such a great voice or had such a great voice uh, yeah he's, he's still alive he's still doing it oh uh i'm th- who am i thinking of that died for- the other one okay it's the other brother <laughs> yeah. yeah got it okay the one that isn't bill medley got it, got it, got it. but the but the one that is bill medley is actually touring with a different dude now oh okay i didn't know that 
Yeah. So I guess they're the righteous half brothers, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> righteous <laughs> step brothers. <laughs> the righteous step brothers. Um, and like, like that song is so- one of those that like every so often you hear a song, and you're like, this this song seems like it's there's never been a time that it hasn't been around. And that's yes, like agreed. like yeah. that one, uh, uh, the big Garth Brooks song. It was another one of those. Like the first time I heard it, I felt like it had been around forever. Friends um, in low places. The one, yes, yeah. Like it's like, how did no one write this song before? Right, he right. And it feels. Like, and that song, before I knew it was Garth Brooks, I thought it was some song from like the seventies or whatever. Like I thought it had yeah. been around forever. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was and Garth like, Brooks. And time of my life was absolutely one of them. And we've been singing it around the house all day, uh, for some reason. Excellent. Yeah. That ain't bad. So, music aside, they did have a couple of other problems. One of the problems they ran into was the rating. This movie initially was given an R rating. Now, if you're directing this at at 14-year-old girls, an R rating is a death sentence, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Pretty much anything it, involving fourteen-year-old girls is a death sentence. <laughs> well, <laughs> if um, they they were extremely lucky that the executive producer, uh, what's her name again, Greg? Oh dear God, I already closed that window. You son of a... Bernadette Palladino. We'll go with that. No. <laughs> Sounds close enough. Linda Gottlieb. That's Do it. all Jewish last names sound the same to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were extremely lucky in that Linda Gottlieb was acquaintances with, I don't know if she was friends, but she was at least acquaintances with the head of the MPAA at the time. Well, that makes things smoother. The Yeah, so she called him up, and she's like, look, we can't have an R rating. What do I need to do? She says, she says if I remove two shits and a fuck, can I get a PG-13 rating? And he, to which he replied, I think we can make that happen. He's like, Jennifer Goldstein, you can make this happen. Wait, what was your name again? (laughs) Harriet Rosenstein. (laughs) Well, it's funny because that movie being, I don't see why it would have been an R-rated movie. Like I... They said it was too racy. There was also a couple of scenes that they deleted, that they took out. There was... um, That makes sense. There was a more erotic dance sequence between Johnny and and Baby during their their sex scene or whatever. Okay. Um and there there apparently was also a nude scene that was removed and there's actually absolutely no footage of anywhere. You can't find the footage anywhere. Well that, that um, makes more me. sense then. Omar looked. No. <laughs> Omar Omar looked. Believe it or not, I did not know that, but but it makes <laughs> makes a lot more sense. That with the R rating though that makes that makes sense. But yeah. I have to say, yeah, so, well, uh, no, I'll, I'll save my thing for when we're going over our opinion. There's also a major a major plot point that is controversial. Exactly, that's what I was going to mention. Right, and 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 we're going to get into that next. That's which that's I was actually very surprised about because I didn't like, I didn't hear, I had never knew that me, aspect me of the movie. I was really? like to the point of where I was like, are they really getting at this? Really? Oh wow! Like that's the yeah, that so, one thing is the re is like the the whole story hinges on that. Anyway. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and talk about that? Okay. So, well. to tell us, Greg, what what is it that you are speaking of? So was, there's an abortion uh, plot line, which 
is really the it is the 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 key that makes the movie actually work. It well, it's the thing that generates. Together. It's the reason. It's the glue. Yeah, yeah. It's the reason that she ha- uh, she she starts uh, dancing. A uh, baby starts dancing. It's the reason that the father wants to keep them apart. It's and it makes the and it, in some way it makes the father not be this cartoony. Well, he's a boy. You can't be near him. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of thing. Um, so it's that it it pulls the one character out, the the dancing partner out of the story because she has something that she has to get done and she has to keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. And back at this time, it was sixty three, so abortion was still, still illegal, illegal in New York. Yeah. It didn't become legal until seventy three. And um, so I was I I was really surprised that like this light I'll, I'm doing fingers uh, quote fingers light dancing like teenage movie had that such a major um controversial plot and that also and they kept it in and that also surprises me that it this movie was geared toward 14 year old girls mm-hmm. if you think about it like and they they received a lot of pushback on it because they actually got a sponsor the the studio got a sponsor for the movie and clearasil was going to be the sponsor for the oh, movie yeah. But Clearasil was very uncomfortable with the with the abortion plot line, and they wanted to have it removed. So the studio came to the writer and the executive producer and were like, look, we need to take the abortion out. And the writer explained to them everything that Greg just said and, and was like, look, it's it's the keystone of the movie. It's the reason. Also, that there's every- this kid in Pittsburgh that really wants to see the movie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Literally everything it- that I said. <laughs> It's the it's the the glue that just basically holds this whole plot together, and because without without the abortion plot line, she has no reason to step in to learn to dance, so she doesn't get to know Johnny Castle. Um, she doesn't have to ask her father for the money, so there isn't that that thing going that animosity going on between her and her father, which is another little subplot in the movie where her father like loses faith in her and then. And then turns it around at the end when he realizes that he was wrong. Because his initial thought is that is that Johnny Castle was the one who actually got his partner pregnant. And, you know, he's not wrong for thinking that because that was what they even said it in the movie that most people at the resort assumed that they were all that they were, that together, they were together. That they were a couple. So, I mean, he wasn't necessarily wrong for that, and it's entirely possible that somebody else at the resort told him that they were a couple. So you know, he, he thinks that Johnny's responsible for it and he's just trying to pawn it off and, and moving on to his daughter. So he was like, hell no, what? Uh-uh. So he was he was all against Johnny Castle at that. But, I mean, honestly, it really is the, the keystone moment in the movie that that brings everything together. And if you take that out, you're losing a significant amount of what makes this movie this movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what's... I guess another kind of interesting thing about this, this is another reason that I was like, oh, wow, this movie is super Jewish. Um, Jewish light, meaning the non-like uh, Orthodox people, sex is never a thing. Like there's never, oh, don't do not do this, don't do that. It's just like, oh, kids are going to be kids, let them do whatever. Like, so that kind of additional little thing of like an, a reason for the dad to not trust this guy actually kind of makes sense to me at least. Like, like I've, I was always very, very confused when there were parents that were like, you know, you can't be in the room with the door closed. 
with a girl. And I was like, but all my friends are girls, and my parents never said anything. And, like, my female friends that were Jewish, their friends, ne- their parents never said anything either back in high school and stuff. But mm-hmm. but it was the more religious ones that the, – the more, uh, like, Christian religion. I think Catholic is kind of similar to Jewish in some ways where it's just like, ah, you're going to do whatever you're going to do. <laughs> it's when you get, like, the really devout people. So just mm-hmm. – I don't know. Just for me, it, it – it, the father's reaction made a lot of sense, I guess is what I'm getting at. Right. That's fair. I think any any group, any religious group, it doesn't matter if you're going to be the more devout mm-hmm. version. That's how it's going to be. Sex is the first it's place. The, yeah. That, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. I think I don't think it matters. I think it's any anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Says the guy with. So the writer, two the writer fought for it. <laughs> yeah. And anger issues. <laughs> so the writer fought for it and was able to get her point across and and was able to keep the abortion plot line in the movie. And I, I'm glad she did because it, I, I think it is a better movie because mm-hmm. um, they would have had to jump through some serious hoops to change that. Oh my god! And they they wouldn't have been. Oh able yeah, to they would have had to rewrite. They'd the have thing. had to do reshoots. Yeah, they'd have had to rewrite and do reshoots and all that shit, and it just wouldn't have worked. Um. Then their next hurdle, after having to deal with 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 all of this, they've got this product that they're pretty proud of, mind you. And they make a phone call to one of these big movie executives. Uh, he was very well known at the time, Aaron Russo. And they arranged for a screening of the movie with Aaron Russo. And he was a very well-respected name in the industry. He sat down, he watched the movie, and afterwards, the quote is, he turned to the producer and said, burn the negative and collect the insurance. <laughs> always a good sign (laughs) oh my god they almost shit themselves and now they don't now they don't know what to do because they're like well can we put this out is this really that bad I don't know that it's that bad but I mean Aaron Russo said it was absolutely horrendous I mean what do we do thankfully cooler heads prevailed let let me let me jump in there go for it like it's not my kind of movie but there is nothing in that movie that would make me have that reaction, and I'm not a professional. Right? Like, is there Agreed. anything that egregious? Especially looking at every other movie that came out that year. There are there are two things. We've already talked about one, and we're going to talk about the, the other one in just a minute. Okay, continue. Um, but Cooler Heads prevailed, and they decided to hold a test screening for, like, a thousand people or something. And they were saying that they, you know, they screened the movie. They had all these people come in and sit down and watch it. And when the movie ended, the entire theater broke into applause. And that that response that they got from that test screening really kind of galvanized everybody at the company to say, you know what? I think I I agree. I think we've got something here. We're uh. We're going to push forward and we're going to do this. Screw Aaron Russo and whatever the hell he says because we're going to make this movie. Having such an overwhelmingly positive reaction to this movie really helped to to get it pushed through the final stages. Yeah, I can imagine. That's now... A, uh, go ahead. Uh, just, that's a big reaction for a one-time screener. 
Right. Yeah. I don't think anyone would ever expect that kind of reaction mm-hmm. from something like. And if I recall, wasn't it not like the screening that they did? Wasn't it um, somewhat incomplete? Like there wasn't. Was that was this the same movie when they did when they when they screened uh, it for the audience? It, it wasn't completely sure. done. They didn't mention it. They didn't mention it. In yeah. The, in the. Thing. Okay, then I'm they, thinking of something else. Mention, I know they uh, they did mention that in Dra- the Jurassic Park episodes. So it might have been that one. It didn't have the dinosaurs in it yet. Maybe that's what it oh. is. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Sorry. No, I don't know. <clears throat> Which makes Jurassic Park a very different movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, these people oh, are no. crazy. <laughs> a tree. Yeah. They're schizophrenic. Like someone, that walks, <laughs> like someone that walks through like a, a cobweb far away, and you're like, why is that dude freaking out? Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. So... <laughs> So now that brings us to the elephant in the room. And this okay, is what listen, I was talking about with... I've started jogging again, and I'm eating salads, so you don't have to be a jerk about it. Well, you know... <laughs> elephant I, I okay, just sorry. want to make sure Shut that up. you're aware. Shut up, Omar. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> we probably could have told him when we weren't recording. Well, yeah. That brings us to the other We're big dicks. problem with this movie, and it's actually something that is still talked about today. And that's the whole pedophilia angle. Well, I didn't even now, I just I was wondering what the what your elephant in the room yeah, meant. Wait, what? Okay, go on. Now, it's it's been joked uh multiple times um for years. Um in fact, I remember a very famous skit in Family Guy, where they they um, they talk about this scene where he says, you know, nobody puts a baby in a corner, which, by the way, was was a horrible line. Patrick Swayze hated saying it. The author hated writing it, but they used it, stuck, and it's become one of the most famous lines in the movie. Um, it's like the 90th most famous line of all time. If yeah. It's some chart that they did wow. or something yeah. they did. And... And so, you know, the, the the skit in Family Guy is, you know, he walks up and says, nobody puts baby in a corner. And her father stands up and goes, I do, because I'm her father. She's 16. What are you, 34? Get out of here, you creep. You know, is, you know they, they, <laughs> they just played that up, right? And I I get where they're coming from. But I also see, and to be fair, Swayze was much older than the character that he was actually portraying because I believe that Johnny Castle was only supposed to be 25 and Swayze, I think, was like 34 when he filmed this. Yeah, yeah. So... Well, she was about to go to college. I was just going to say. Well, that's the thing. At the beginning of the movie. That's the thing. He's like, she's starting college in the fall. Holy oak. I remember. Right, Yeah. right. And so the thought is, is that... And, you know, with, without having the exact ages, I would have thought that she was 18, which was why I didn't think anything of it when I saw this movie. But supposedly, you know, a lot of the people who have gone and found this shit out have said that she's actually 17. Now, I believe that in 1963, the age of consent was 16. In New York. Yeah. I, you know, that's... But, I think that's... To me, that's like reaching for something... I know, I know, and she's but like I said, 18, you know, whatever, because she's starting college, like whatever, right? And like, like I said, I mean, I'm like, well, you know, I mean, she's she's almost eighteen, or I, even if I, she's not eighteen, she's almost eighteen. I did just re- read a little thing. Um, I don't know how true it is, but it says in the script she's supposed to be eighteen and he's supposed to be twenty four. Okay. Um, she was actually twenty six when she was cast, 
mm-hmm. and he was 34, like you said. Right. So if she's 18 and he's 24, it's really not that big of a deal anymore. I, I did find the part where she, like, sleeps with him, and then she's, like, talking, and he's, like, she kind of sort of hints at other women. Like, she is like, have you been with other women? And then he's, like, you know, all these women come here every yeah. year, and they want to be they with you. and Throw themselves at you. Yeah. Slip room keys in your pocket. <laughs> tuck it and down then... your pants. <laughs> Grab yeah. your junk. And she's, like... <laughs> kiss me (laughs) and then she like you know like eats his face i'm like that's not that was kind of weird bedroom talk like that's literally the last thing i want to talk about and i gotta tell you women are just as aggressive or you know for a lot of things women are surprisingly aggressive you should try hanging out at a 1960s resort full of jewish women (laughs) that have to watch their families do skits Uh uh-huh uh-huh shit gets crazy but i mean you can you can ask you, I mean, you know, it, it's terrible when, you know, poor little Minnie or, or Tinkerbell gets manhandled at Disney. But if you want to be surprised, ask the characters like Tarzan how handsy the women are. Or, uh, oh, that's interesting. You know, well, my, my child did bite Gaston. Really? No, licked Gaston. He licked Gaston, actually. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, have no, I still have, to this day, I have no idea why. That's funny. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. He was just taken after daddy. On us. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> he saw daddy do it, so yeah. he was like, <laughs> "Greg frequently licks licks Gaston." <laughs> yeah, but only Gaston. Okay, only, only Gaston. Hey, you got to have your standards, I still, buddy. I get it. I'm a bit of a germaphobe, and I like French food. So. <laughs> Good times. <sighs> yeah. So th- that was that was the other big problem that they had with this movie, and there were there were people who didn't want to touch it because of that as well. And so with those two big things combined, I think those were really what put Aaron Russo over the edge. Um, or maybe he just legitimately thought that it was a bad movie, yeah. but I don't know how because I mean I hadn't seen this movie. We went back and we have now watched it for this podcast, and I gotta say it was pretty good. I thought it was all right. Yeah, that's nothing. I would I would watch again well okay let me i'll give you the other part of this my other little story my mm-hmm. my wife did inform me before i came up here to record and give my opinion about this movie uh she said i had two dirty dancing posters in my room in uh, middle school and high school i had both of the cds and i used to watch this movie all the time consider that before you say anything bad about this movie <laughs> fair enough the verbal, you know, two fingers pointing at your eyes and then pointing at the other. That's I got. The, it's the, it was the verbal version of that. Um, so it was great. I loved it, and it's the best movie ever made. <laughs> Can't wait for the and, weekly uh, viewing. Yeah, and uh, but it, I would imagine that it that you even if you didn't like love it, that it was not so bad that if your wife wanted to watch it one weekend, that you'd be like, I'm not watching that piece of trash. Yeah, no, it was fine. I mean, I did enjoy the music. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted the, to know more about the criminals, <laughs> if that makes sense. I was like, the the people that were like stealing wallets, uh, right? The, the like old kind of the subplot. old people, the old couple. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I kind of want to follow. I want that movie. Also, uh, Jennifer right. Grey is adorable. Totally. You know Jennifer. You know who Jennifer Grey? Well, was married to up until like February. Hmm. Clark Gregg? Yeah, she's married to Coulson from the Avengers movies. Did they get divorced? Really? 
uh, fe- February of this year, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. It was an amicable divorce, except, like, when you read it, it was like, she gets to keep all of her residuals from Dirty Dancing, and he has to give up half of all of his from the Avengers and all of the movies he What? I was like, wow. Well, they were married when he was in it, and she, they weren't married when she was in Dirty Dancing. So that's probably why. I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fair. No, that's fair. All right. So he didn't seem. He doesn't seem is to care. It though? They're, they're still friends. So though. goes the law. You know. Yeah. I think it's up until their daughter is like twenty-four or something. But I, I, they seem very friendly about it. Like it doesn't seem like he. I don't think he put up much fight. So, I, but also she, I know that like she kind of disappeared after this movie. Which, you know, like I love. I actually thought she well, was adorable in in Red Dawn. She she actually went into obscurity because after this movie, I don't remember how long it was after this movie. She actually had a nose job. Yeah, and and basically took away her defining feature because one of the things that you know that people recognized her for was her nose. And you know when she when she got the nose job, she was unrecognizable, and nobody knew who she was, and they just didn't cast her because then she was just some plain girl. I've never seen know? anyone look so different pre and post nose job. You know, like those. You know, like they'll show like celebrities online or whatever, I, and they, it still looks like that person except for Jennifer Grey. I remember seeing her on some thing. She was being interviewed or some. I don't remember what it was. And I was like, "Who's this person?" Like, I literally had no idea who it was. And then I read the caption when I when I tried to look her up. When I was like, "Oh, what's she doing now?" And I saw her with Clark Gregg. I was like, "No, no, no, Jennifer Gregg." (laughs) Like, like I didn't realize it was the same person. It looks completely different. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, one other thing, um, because that I mean that that pretty much covers covers you know most of what I had for the movie. just talking about what we thought about the movie now, the this is one of those movies about class and you know the class system and the haves and have nots that that didn't really make me roll my eyes at a lot of the parts. I'm not sure why. Um, I mean, perhaps it was just in the delivery because there there are a lot of movies out now that that talk about class and you know the the one percent or the 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 ones that don't have and want what the what they have that is it is just so in your face that it's like oh all right i get it they're they're underprivileged whatever because it comes off as preachy and on this movie it doesn't i think that's probably why because i agree with you there's such a class undertone to this but it you don't it's not like in your face i guess is the the way well there were there were other layers to it like right the misunderstanding of whose whose baby that was, right? Which is a thing that that they have it, and so the dad has other reasons not to like. The dad is never like, he's the working help. You can't stand hang out with them. You're supposed to marry a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Like right. that's true. She, like, but she does actually that say that in the movie. But it's not anything that you ever felt like. That's how the dad felt. You know what I mean? Well, and that brings me to a point I wanted to make. At the beginning of the movie, first moments of the movie, they drive up to the resort in the car, and as they're getting out, they're having a little dialogue, and you get a real sense of how idealistic Baby and the dad both are. Because the Mm -hmm. sister's like, oh, I didn't bring my 
coral colored i think she said coral colored shoes or something like that yeah and dad's like well, that, that's not a problem that's not really a problem and then he and baby list off like um police dogs in birmingham are a problem and baby says monks burning themselves in protest are a problem and you which all happened earlier that which time. all happened exactly in 63 but like you know the 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 birmingham thing like the um what do you call it oh my gosh i can't think right now but like the vietnam and 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 um like everything that was going on in the south it was a huge thing and it was so interesting cuz they talk about that stuff jfk's still alive cuz he's mentioned i think i somehow at, at some point he's he he hasn't he's not dead yet and he he gets killed later that year which is really what's considered America's sort of like loss of innocence when 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 JFK dies, uh, gets assassinated. I actually thought you were gonna just because you're mentioning that part. I actually thought of something a little bit a different part about that was the fact that she. I thought she was idealistic, and it, maybe they did this on purpose. Is the fact that she went and helped the guy take the luggage out of the car. Well, that was another th- yes. That was another thing that showed that she didn't because it made her way more likable. Like you don't have to serve. Mm-hmm. You don't have to serve me. I'm fine. I'm good. But even it. even oh fuck. Sorry. Right now there's a British guy chasing Rob around the room with like a dude in like half a horse costume, <laughs> like a clown and three chicks in bikinis. Oh my God. Um, but the other one was uh, like even the dad for the, for a good chunk of the movie, he's very open. He's not like, she asks him for $250 and he kind of questions her on it. And then he's like, you know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And he just gives her the money. Like it was, he he he's not a typical, like you were saying, like I don't know, hard ass dad. Like that's the help, and that's not how it goes. He's he wasn't like that, really. It was an interesting. Uh, that's uh, it's a Jewish dad. I'm telling you. I I believe I I'll have to take your word for it, but uh, I I believe you. You know, but it was a really interesting thing because then they're talking about this stuff and protests and monks burning themselves, which is the for those of you that don't know, it's the cover of the Rage Against the Machine album with the. The monkey, he's protesting the Vietnam War. Um, and then it goes into like all this happy music and people dancing like all, you know, sexy in a shack or whatever. <laughs> so there's like this huge contrast between like what's going on in the world and like how they're living. And I, I don't know, that just kind of hit me a little bit um, at the beginning of the movie. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought that was good context. Yeah, I agree. So where, where are you taking us to, Rob? Um, we are coming to a close because we have talked for a very long time. We we are coming to a close, and we talked longer than I thought we would. <laughs> um, just also of note, this this actually was the first movie to sell one million copies on home video. Wow! It's it's maintained its popularity. It is the the royalties that that Jennifer Grey is getting from this are probably ridiculous. She's probably earned so much money from this movie, but mm-hmm. it. It, it's a it's a solid movie. And when I was doing some research on this, a lot of the research that I that I found at the top of the googling stack mm-hmm. was from articles written about like, so there's a pandemic and you don't know what to watch because you've already watched everything else. Well, have you watched Dirty Dancing recently? And that it was like in three different articles I found. Really, and it was like I was like, oh, that's interesting. That is interesting. You know, like hmm. to introduce it. You know, introduce this to the to a new generation. I'm like, wow, it's kind of cool. And it's only like I actually bought it just because you know I, you heard the conversation I had with my wife. So, um, 
So you had, you had to no choice. The movie. That's basically what I'm. <laughs> well, I looked to see if we actually had it in DVD, and oddly enough, we didn't. So, but it was like five ninety nine on Amazon. So right, that's well. easy. Well, I think that'll take us into our question for the night, though. Well, we, we got our, uh, just a little bit of history. I oh. I find a little bit there. Go uh, for it. Oh, and we haven't done the movie, the movies and music. Yep. Okay. So, sorry, I am, uh, pulling this up here, and it is, uh, really the one news story I wanted to talk about, because, again, we've been doing this week to week, so it's all kind of ties in. Uh, Mother Teresa arrives at Chernobyl. To open up like a, a little, uh, I guess to help people there, um, and all I could think is there's a there's a movie uh, here of a giant radioactive nun. I don't know how they didn't go with the giant radioactive nun movie, but I, I think it could have been a thing. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was a music thing that I saw that was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about the music, but do you know what the number one song in England was this week? Number one song in England, summer yes. 1987. Number one song in England. I'm going to go with Something by the Smiths. Anything by the Smiths. No. Something by the no, Smiths. No, not, not the Smiths. Rob, do you happen to know? Without looking. Is it a song that I know? Oh, yeah. Is it the way you said? Oh yeah, it makes me think it's something that I know specifically. My girl wants to party all the time by Eddie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just storybook kidding. love. Nope. I I know that was never number one. <laughs> oh, we got rickrolled. <laughs> Never going to give you up. We have been shamed, Rob. <laughs> we have. We just got rickrolled. <laughs> and all three of the people out there listening to it. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> Did not see that coming. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, let's see. Do I have? I do have the other stuff somewhere. Did you pull up the... I'm- I've got the movies. The This movie actually opened at number four on its opening week. Uh, number one was Still Stake Out. Uh, number two was Can't Buy Me Love. This movie opened up right below Born in East L.A. Born in East L.A. was number three. Dirty Dancing was four. No Way Out was number five. Living Daylights was at six. La Bamba was at seven. Lost Boys was at eight. Number nine was RoboCop. And number ten, Masters of the Universe. The, the music I do have in front of me. Or do you have it too? Yep, but go ahead. Um, I got. I just can't stop loving you. Michael Jackson is number ten. Number nine is Heart and Soul by Tapa. Uh, Rock Steady by The Whispers. That is a song that my mom and I jam out to every time we go on a road trip or drive. Nice. Still. Yep. That is our. As is that is our. One. That is our jam. Uh, only in my dreams with Debbie, Debbie Gibson. No. Uh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You too is number Yay. six. I want your sex, which is not the song my mom and I jam out to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh uh, Don't mean nothing by Richard Marks is number four. Luca by Suzanne Vega number three. La Bamba Los Lobos number two and number one. Who's that girl for I think the second or third week in a row at this point? Mm-hmm. 
Um, the other little thing, the blonde girl that he's dancing, that Patrick Swayze is dancing with at the beginning, uh, she actually went on to become the lead singer of the band Animotion. If you remember them, they did that song Obsession, which is kind of awesome, and I listened to it like all day today. The blonde um, girl that he's dancing with at the beginning? Like, well, I guess it's the blonde girl that was, I, I think it's the one that was also later on, but like when you first see Patrick Swayze dancing with the blonde girl, she went on to become the lead singer of Animotion after the original lead singer left. Not his dance partner. Not the girl yeah, who had the partner. abortion. I think it might be, actually. Cynthia Rhodes? I couldn't tell. Interesting. Is it? Maybe. I don't know. But either way, it was just a note that I found there. So. Now I think we can do the question. This was a good one. Oh. A retired American actress, singer, and dancer. Yeah. You're my obsession. And that's the same girl. That's interesting. Well, she took over. She didn't write that song. She took over for the original lead song. Oh, oh that's not her on the recording. After. Okay. On, yeah. But like a year later, so she probably sang it a right. lot in concerts. <clears throat> okay. Question 10. So the question, the question, there was a bunch of different options for question, but we decided to go with the easy one. What are the top five best dance movies? And in theory, that's easy because I don't like any dance movies. Yeah, I had a hard time. I found... <laughs> This time I found five. I, I didn't find nineteen. I found exactly five. I had no problem with this one. There were I I pulled five right off the top of my head. One of them may be questionable, but I'm running with it anyway. All right. Uh, can I go? Can I jump in? Yeah, go for it. Top top five dance. I had to do child removal, so I muted Word. myself. Okay. Number five, I went with Saturday Night Fever because you know. You got to have that in there, um, and probably Travolta is probably the only guy to rival Swayze, like as an actor dancer. Like Swayze was really good in this, and Travolta is like amazing. Um, number four, the a movie that came out, little tiny indie movie that came out in the nineties, um, that I, I um, went and saw saw this movie with my mom. Actually, um, it was called Strictly Ballroom. Really, really good movie, okay. like about a ballroom dance competition. I think I think it was Australian. I want to say it was just such a great little unknown movie. It was it was so well done. Yeah, I remember. You that. do remember that? It was it was so good. It was mm-hmm. such a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, my last three are kind of difficult for me because they're all really great for their own reasons. So I'll go with number three, White Knights. Um, with yeah. um. Was his name Barishnikov and Gregory Hines? That was a great. Oh yeah, that, that's that a great movie, and I love the whole you know the Cold War thing. You know, that's my thing. Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, Flashdance. Because I mean, have you seen it? <laughs> 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 like, she's so it's awesome. Anyway, <clears throat> I mentioned I grew up. In- <laughs> <laughs> and number one, Breaking, Breaking one and two, both of them together. Ah! The Electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo. Thank you. Come on. That's like the best name ever. So, and I didn't even pick one or two of them, both of them together. To me, it's all the epic saga of the streets. Love it. Still waiting for the third part of the trilogy to come out. (laughs) And that was actually one I forgot. That may get put on my list. I love it. I love that movie. 
That was the best. I know we're going to have to cover that at some point as well. Absolutely. Uh, you, can, you guys can add those whatever movies those were to that uh, that uh, list. Um, speaking of, if you guys want to be part of adding to that list, you can become a patron. Give me five podcast. Uh, Patreon.com slash give me five podcast. Uh, $5. You get to be a patron. And when you become a patron, one of the things you get to do other than chat with us and pick movies and do all sorts of stuff like that is you get to fill out your own lists. And we have one of those lists right now. Mm. This is Alec with his top five dancing movies. I told them that they had to actually not say anything and just do it in interpretive dance, but <laughs> they, they didn't. Hey, Give Me Five podcast, top five dancing movies. Number five, Black Swan. Number four, very cheesy movie, but I still like it. Footloose. Number three, Singing in the Rain. It's the one musical I kept on here because I think that is some of the most iconic dancing I've seen. Number two, Saturday Night Fever. And number one is Dirty Dancing. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that movie because I actually think it's a classic. Thanks. Bye. Boom. Nice. So thank you, Alec. And it actually played all the way through because I just kept on hitting the volume button so that it wouldn't time out. So I guess well, I'll Greg, go. Do you want to go next or last? I can go. I can go now because I, I don't. Because as a person that does not like dancing movies, um, I went with Suspiria as number one because it involves a coven of witches. Number five, you mean? Uh, yes, number five. Sorry, as my first one, but number five, yeah, uh, because it involves a coven of witches and lots and lots of blood. So Suspiria, number five. Uh, Footloose is number four. Uh, Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. And Kenny Loggins' song. That's why. Uh, Dirty Dancing is number three, because I'm not going to get murdered in my sleep. <laughs> uh, number two, Black Swan, because that movie had some pretty visceral uh, mm-hmm. violence and uh, rage and whatnot. Yeah, I couldn't put that on because I haven't seen it, but I want to see that. Gotcha. It's it's pretty yeah, there's good. A part where she's a part where she's practicing over and over again, and you watch her toenails like breaking oh. off. That is horrifying. Okay, maybe I'm not going to watch it. And if you if you pay attention, you can actually see her descent because like stuff starts happening in the movie that um, that you can notice. Like there's there's a scene where she's starting to like go a little crazy, and she walks into a room that's got a whole bunch of paintings on it. And while she's staring at the paintings, one of them changes to like a evil like grimace face. Like it it's a mm-hmm. it's a picture of a girl smiling. And then it looks like she's, like, yelling at her for a second, and then it goes back to normal. It's like, whoa, what did I just see? What was that shit? It's a good movie. Uh, Number one, I already mentioned the Pittsburgh connection, has to be Flashdance, because it's a rite of passage in Pittsburgh. You have to pick Flashdance as your favorite dance movie, because she's just a Steel Town girl on a Saturday night. And I was that Steel steel Town girl (laughs) and still am. I didn't even know that that was a... Uh, that was uh, I'm gonna get hurt for this. I didn't know it was a Pittsburgh movie. I had no idea. I didn't. I didn't know. <sighs> She's a steel worker for Christ. Yeah, sake. but I was well, the <laughs> first time I saw it. I was like whatever eight eleven, and since then I've been you know watching it on mute <laughs> <laughs> with a lot of pausing. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I didn't know. Well, sitting on a chair with a bucket full of water above me and a rope. Yeah. 
Oh my god, I just Sure. We'll go with hey, that. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Thanks for the uh Halloween costume idea, buddy. That's <laughs> Just walk around with like a chair strapped to your back, <laughs> in like eighty style leotards, and with like a post and a and a bucket above you. And every time, it's like people order you, just sit down, lean your head back, and pull the bucket oh, yeah. string. Yeah. Bunch of confetti dumping you or something. That'd be fantastic. I think I might have to there do that. There it is. Too. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, I'll wrong. give you my list. I I do have an honorable mention. It's going to be breaking. I I had to of mention course. it. But my number five is going. It, my number five is going to be Flashdance because I can't have a list like this and not have Flashdance in in the list. My number four is going to be one of my guilty pleasures. I actually really enjoyed this movie, probably far more than I than I should have. But I'm going to go with Burlesque. I haven't seen it actually. Is it good? Really? I I enjoyed it a lot. I liked it a lot. I mean. It it focuses a lot on the singing as well as the dancing, but there's definitely a lot of dancing and a lot of performing and stuff in the movie. Okay. So that's my number four. My number three is gonna be Black Swan. My number two is gonna be Dirty Dancing. This movie this that movie was actually really good and I'm I'm glad I actually got to I actually sat down to watch it. I don't regret it at all. But my number one is one of the big ones for me when I was a kid. I loved the movie, and it's Footloose. Nice. When a young scamp comes to a town and teaches them to love through the power of dance and Kenny Loggins. <laughs> right. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Um, Alicia might be listening to this. My number one was flat, was uh, Dirty Dancing. Did I say that? Yeah, she's... Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's all of our number oh, ones are Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Love you, dear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening uh, I'm not really supposed to do the contact stuff because I who, I think that's Omar uh, tell people how they can reach us I will as soon as I scroll down <clears throat> well they can check us out at gimme5podcast.com as he scrolls uh, yeah. down gimme5podcast.com for sure um, Facebook that's always a good one um, Twitter and Instagram you can do uh, gimme5pod that's by the way, F I V E, not the number five. Okay, um, the I think what I think what everybody should do this week is go to give me five podcast at gmail dot com and write something scathing to Greg. <laughs> I think that just to see if the if it works, you know, I want to make sure the emails working up, everything's up to snuff for communication purposes. You can tell us why Rob and I are awesome and Greg needs work. Does that yes. work for you guys? Concur. <laughs> okay. You guys check out Craig, Craigslist or Reddit. I'll be looking for a two <laughs> Well, on Cra- the base level of conversation is all I need. <laughs> just yeah, but on Craigslist you're gonna you know get murdered, so you should probably not put it on there. I'm okay. <laughs> At this point, that is a better option. Can you imagine the episode that I get murdered? How many people will listen? I mean, come on. That's true. That's a fair point. And thank you for listening, unless you're the person that's listening to hear me murdered. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, we want you to give us five. To attack.